Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CP Pod. I've known my guest for today's cast for a few years now, and I wanted to have him on because, in a time when we question how best to connect with each other, his community work with music-focused companies such as Marmoset and Artery has been part of a global trend towards exploring new ways of sharing artistic experiences in more human ways. Sterling Miles grew up in Colorado, where he studied writing and literature at Naropa University and founded the band Strangers Die Every Day. They signed to a label, toured, and ultimately moved to Portland, where he later founded another band, Alameda. All the music on today's show is from Alameda. Sterling is a musician, writer, community manager, and a runner. More on this later. But beyond his work, I'm a big fan of the person, of the energy he puts out into the world. He's kind and present, there for you. And so, I want to go with you on a journey with Sterling. As you listen, imagine yourself in a van on the road with an old friend, snacking at rest stops and now and then, busting out a guitar and jamming as the sun sets on a splendid Pacific Northwest mountain range. This friend we're journeying with today is Sterling Miles. Before I ask you how you're doing, let's let's build a scene here. Road trip with the two of us. What car are we riding in? Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with a sturdy Volvo. I just, I love Volvos. They're just, they're safe cars. You can just, I think maybe more nostalgically, I just love, uh, I, I, I took some childhood trips in, in a Volvo and they're just, they're just great. They're just great cars. And I just always imagine, even though they're very updated, but I, I, the boxier, the better, just a boxy Volvo, maybe with like a rack on top like put some extra cargo in and uh maybe a cassette tape player that's excellent i definitely wasn't expecting a volvo <laughs> as our touring vehicle but it will work <laughs> they're just safe they're just sturdy safe cars that's fine we'll go on the road safely <laughs> i guess not speeding we're just we're just uh, we're right in the speed limit. Just no no tickets. Just everything everything's good. Okay, so we are leisurely <laughs> touring the country as we discuss. <laughs> So where did that journey begin for you? How did you get introduced to music? Uh, music to me, um, you know, I think it took different forms. Music was always around, um, even when I didn't, wasn't even aware of it, but it was always around, especially my childhood. So I think about growing up and listening to my mom, you know, record collections, um, all vinyl, a lot of like prog rock, a lot of folk. 
um, Patsy Cline, just a lot of very, um, just like classic folk records. And I would just, I, I was always first attracted to the artwork to see, um, I would just stare at records and just like, I'd love the physicality of them. And, uh, I would just play records all the time. Um, and just had a lot of space time. Didn't really grow up, um, for much of much, a lot of my childhood wasn't, didn't really have a lot of TV. So I just like entertain myself going outside or, um, or just listening to music or just like, um, uh, it, but mainly, yeah, that kind of where it started. And that, I mean, it, it might sound a little corny, but like it, it always maintained like this sense of magic to me of just like, uh, like how do people make these sounds? And it wasn't necessarily ever about like solving like the mystery about it, but it was more about just like just being in awe of it and just having just a fascination. I just, again, just loved, loved music, just loved how, um, how emotional it was without even sometimes even saying anything. And so it started from there. And then um, as it evolved, I just thinking about like, oh, maybe I can participate in this. And so like that curiosity kind of came a lot to first as just like a, just a complete fan and growing up and especially like middle school and high school, um, going to a lot of punk shows, a lot of hardcore shows. My sister had, you know, listening then to my sister's record collection and we kind of had this uh, shared love and still do actually uh, my sister and I have a very much of a shared bond with uh, hardcore and punk and we um, I guess we have to go to those festivals or see shows but a lot of like a lot of music I listened to and loved was in basements and not always in large venues but usually um, in in like very sweaty basements and um, record stores and usually like wherever you could make a space um, just like fit a drum set that's where you see a show um, and so from there, um, it was in early, like late high school, early college. Uh, I forget which birthday it was, but I believe it was my 17th birthday where, um, as a birthday, yeah, birthday present, I got a electric bass from a pawn shop. And then the next day, uh, I just started, I started a band and, uh, and then just didn't know how to play at all. Well, you started a band the yeah, next day. Yeah, I started a band the next day, and people, you know, like, were were on board, friends, and that were all. Uh, I think I've even like think they definitely knew how to play their instruments, and I was definitely the you know the only one that really didn't. And actually, that could be now that I'm saying that out loud. Um, I think that honestly, the majority of my music career was being the least talented one in the band. But kind of was just like the biggest cheerleader for what we were doing. So, um, but that, it, it started from that. And it was like this hardcore band and it was, um, we were called Cost of an Arm. And it was just like, where is this intense political, um, screamo band? And like, it just, it, and then just like evolved from there. So, I don't know how. <laughs> so that, that was like the very beginning. So that's where you started and then you ended up in, in folk ultimately, right? Yeah. So it started with like playing bass and uh, I mean, my bass was my first love. I just loved the, um, I think, you know, looking at it, it was, it's one of those instruments that if you, you can't necessarily always like tell what the bass is doing, but when you take it out, it's like a huge void is there and you, it's something that's just so felt. I think the bass is always, I mean, amazing because you feel it all the time. And, um, and I, at that point, after that, it was, um, the bridge between hardcore and folk came with uh, an instrumental band. So I, I love, you know, actually coincidentally, even before I moved to Canada, um, I loved 
a lot of music um, just by coincidence from uh, Montreal. Uh, there is this label called Constellation Records, and I loved what they're putting out. Um, bands like Godspeed, Black Emperor, um, Fly Pan Am, Solar Mount Zion were all these really intense post-rock instrumental. And that music always spoke to me because it had that grit and um, it was just this beautiful, like tragically beautiful music, lots of chamber um, influences with distortion. And I loved that that point where you can, you can, um, how instrumental music um, was just very, like in my mind at that time, very pure. And I always loved the fact that it could get movements and emotions. It, it just said what you couldn't say. And I was really drawn to that. So started abandoned college and that was kind of the, the transference from that of taking kind of like a hardcore approach to instrumental music and started a band called Strangers Die Every Day. A very uh, uplifting, <laughs> just a very, just very keeping with this very upbeat uh, names of bands. It's okay. And we... I have a research project <laughs> called Roads of Bones and Ashes. So I understand <laughs> sometimes you have to go heavy. You're just going to dive into that. <laughs> yeah, just, you're going to just dive into it. And uh, so I just, so from there, it was, that's when music to me, I mean, like the high school, you know, hardcore band definitely like we, we recorded and um, I promised, you know, my friends who were in that band, like I will not uh, unveil any of those tracks <laughs> to the public. Right? But uh, I think, um, but it strangers every day was, when music had, you know, the potential, like where we were like, whoa, we can actually, you know, do something with this. So we were college band. We all met at Naropa University, which is where I went to school for writing and literature. Uh, I went there. It's um, at that point, you know, I don't, had only been like 30 years old and it was started by Chokum Trungpa Rinpoche and Allen Ginsberg. So it was a pretty wild, had a wild history, very brief and wild history. Wait, Shogyan Trumpa and Ginsberg? That's a wild set of founders. Yeah, yeah. So Chogun Trungpa, like, again, you know, more you, you research into him, the more kind of like just um, kind of, I would only say like crazy wisdom that he had that, I mean, I, I'm saying that in my own words, but just, um, and, then, and then you have Alan Ginsberg. And so you, you put the two together and you come up with Naropa, which is, um, incredible writing program, which is why I went there. Also, it was, it was close to home. So I grew up, you know, I grew up, um, a lot. I grew up on Colorado, but I, you know, did some growing up in Durango, which is near the Four Corners area, and then mainly in Denver, um, which is where I uh, then hopped up to Boulder, which is where Naropa is. And um, from there, just uh, we, yeah, just being in that environment, um, we we all met there, and um, and I met, you know, like the the drummer who is like now like a, a brother to me, you know, um, Lawrence. And um, Jesse, who plays cello, and then uh, Kelso, who played violin, who just um, again, just like amazing, just such like creative souls that they just um, they just approach music in a really. Uh, I was just like just being in a band just with people that I was in awe of what they could the sounds that they could create. So, um, so we did that, and um, you know, I guess patting ourselves back a little bit, we did gain a very like hometown a very good hometown following and we're able to open up for you know some of our heroes being you know Rasputina the, the bad plus um we got to perform with Thurston Moore we played a collaborative song with him from Sonic Youth we you know we just got to have a lot of opportunities um I think obviously the, the, 
sport of maybe being big fish in a small pond, but or we just cornered the market of you know uh, brooding instrumental rock. <laughs> but uh, we, you know, there were a lot of successes, and we we did our first tour was in that band, and we definitely, um, as you call, later referred kind of like a shit eating tour. You know, you kind of just it's the first, and you don't know what you're doing, and you just you lose money, and you're playing random cities that are just like a no following <laughs> but you know you, you pay your dues you know so we did a lot of that there's a lot of hard touring during those years tell me about some of those first shows what was the room like what was the energy like in the beginning there uh, around that point i think it's just was being humbled by it all i think it's just again like with anyone's craft like you know for me i think that Um, I have respect. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter if I like your music or not, or your art. Like I have, you know, such respect for anyone that takes their art outside of their home and just tests it out there. And it's hard because it's, you don't know what you're going to get. You know, I, it's, it's a joke that I keep, you know, telling people where I guess it's not even a joke, but like on one given night, you're just like, just on stage having just like everything is in harmony you're playing well room packed full of people and you're like this is why we do it and then the next night you'll be playing in just like random town in arkansas and you're just like why are we doing this like what <laughs> this is ridiculous but some learning experience like kind of just being humbled by it all um and seeing that each night was something very new Um, during those years, like a good show for us outside of home would be like a, a collective art space. Like we played the, the Che Cafe in, in San Diego, which was like a, on the campus of uh, University of San Diego and packed full of people. And, you know, our heroes were a lot of people and those bands that like kind of in the an underground world. So like, oh, they played here. That's great. So, or we, you know, play, you know, um, just play. San Francisco, um, getting on the road, and, and we we toured the 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 west coast a fair amount because we're just close. Like when you live in the middle, almost the middle of the country in Denver, like or I'm born in Colorado, it's like you're well, some of the closest cities are like eight hours away. So you just kind of have to like get out there, and then and then when you're out there, you're just like, okay, we we're doing this. And so I think it's learned. Um, but I mean, then you have those shows where we once played a. Um, it was in Bakersfield, California, and it was in after hours in this mall and in the, in the food court of a mall. And we're playing, and it was just like this variety show. <laughs> just like it was, it was like if we were on like a really rundown set of Saved by the Bell. It was just, it was bad. It was just like, and so we were. Um, in hindsight, maybe something that you would do for a music video, but maybe not as a live venue. <laughs> oh no, as like as a living and just like what are we doing on Tuesday night in Bakersfield? Okay, I guess we're doing this. Um, so we played, and to this day, I feel awful for that because after the show, um, it's a mall, so it has very different stores, including a pet store. And so we're playing really loud, just like, again, just like super loud instrumental music. And then I, I think we heard like ferrets and like birds just probably – his ears were in pain from this and I just felt awful from that. But uh, it was, just, again, it was just such highs and lows. And I think during that time, you, can, you know, you can always kind of in hindsight see the lessons learned, but I, you know, I think it was just being able to be resilient in 
um, really like the, the extreme highs and lows of touring. And that never stops, honestly. I feel like until you, even in a level of like when you have some form of stability, you're still like the, the life as a touring musician, like it is, it is mainly extreme highs and lows on any given night. Eventually you move to Portland. Yeah. So um, at that point, the band, um, the instrumental band, we, um, we signed on to a label um, out of Los Angeles and New York. There was both, uh, there's two people owned it. One lived in New York, one lived in Los Angeles. And we went down, we recorded an album um, uh, down in LA. And we, I mean, again, this is, all of this is a first time experience for us. It's like, whoa, we're, like, we're on a label. They're paying for an album. We're going down with, there's a producer. We go down there and like little, like I guess factoids that I sometimes forget is that um, the producer of, the first official album that I had was the uh, actor who played um, in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Jason, uh, I forget his last name, and in Tom Hanks' Big. He was like the Thomas Best friend. And I keep forgetting this. I'm like, oh yeah, I met that guy. So he recorded our first album. And that was definitely an experience. And so after that, we, you know, we all graduated, um, you know, we all graduated from Neuropa at the same time. Um, so we kind of came to an impasse of like, okay, well, we we can either just end the band, just call it, you know, just like shake hands and part ways, or or we can actually, you know, go and see where this goes. So um, at that point, we, you know, we didn't really know where we want to move, but I remember wanting, you know, I always kind of felt like Pacific Northwest was really calling me for, for different reasons. And so I was like, what about Portland? And everyone's like, okay. So I think that was the benefit of like, moving especially for the first time such a far distance and there was again you know for me it was the first time really moving away from home and um and for a, a lot of us um so but i think what helped is that we all were really good friends and so moving with a group of your friends is much different so you still kind of have a support system through that so portland was like to move to portland and first years was like again getting jobs as a after school Got a job as an after-school teacher, Montessori teacher, um, kind of odds and ends here, here and there. And at that point, you could, you know, you could be a, um, a full-time artist with a part-time job. Um, it was affordable enough then. And like Portland is, I mean, still, I mean, it's been years since it's been back, but it's a beautiful city. And I mean, there, at that point, especially, there was so much collaboration. Like people from huge bands would collaborate with smaller bands and it was just like such a creative energy there um so at that point you know we all lived but we were living in various degrees of um just uh financial turbulence <laughs> you know just trying to piece things together there are points in time where my friend Lawrence and I were like living in his like um we call it the box you know just like just like sleeping room you know like I was sleeping in the sleeping bag you know <laughs> Like trying to make it work. Um, so yeah, so that was that was Portland, and then you know, time goes on, you get a little bit more uh, stable. Um, but those are probably honestly my first two years there in Portland. Yeah, I mean, I think my barber is in Alexis on fire, so definitely not uncommon to do things on the side. Yeah, I think it's the art of. Um, I think twofold and this is just like maybe like a hot take on my end but i think you as a musician you have to just accept as, as, as much as you know as a 
work full time working touring musician um, that doesn't have like a, a lot of financial backing. Like you need to accept that you will you have to like figure it out. Like in between tours, um, you just have to accept that you're just going to not necessarily be in a very stable uh, situation all the time because sometimes you're just like I have a job but I literally have to quit this job because this tour is happening or and then you got lucky like fortunately like I had flexible enough jobs where I would have a job when I'd come back but oftentimes you don't you don't you, you're constantly like quitting jobs coming back hopefully being rehired but maybe not so it's like you kind of have these odds and ends and um, until you kind of get to a point where like touring becomes like a financially like um very like uh stable situation but there's for very few and far between um so yeah you get you you get used to like learning new skills <laughs> so um you know like again there was a time i was like a montessori uh spanish teacher in montessori school or um and then moved to just like um different different places so the strangers I every day had like we had done a lot of tours and honestly, at that time, you know, we we recorded and we recorded, um, and it just kind of once we were all there, I just it just got really hard. And I think we got also just different life stages. You know, at that point, like uh, Lawrence got married, you know, was like engaged and getting married, um, just and different people's priorities just shifted. So we kind of just um, we we like it, it didn't end up that you know, but we we played our last show. And it was a very sweet, very bittersweet night. Um, you know, it actually happened on, you know, Portland gets like a blizzard every few years. But when a blizzard hits, like the city of Portland only has like two snow plows in it. So it, the city shuts down. So it, just, it, it came on the night of the big, a big blizzard. So that was, it was very symbolic for us. But um, so that, that, that was kind of that chapter. And then for me, the emergence of what I majority of my music career came after this where um i wanted to kind of experiment and kind of invert my whole relationship with music you know playing bass in an instrumental band i wanted to kind of just see what it was like to learn guitar and vocals so um there were people from the other you know the other band that joined um jesse on cello so there was always that and um so we we started another band alameda and from there kind of just shifted and that's where um a lot many years of my life my music life started um from that point i've listened to a lot of alameda ahead of our conversation and as i told you <laughs> i really like the music thank you thank you listening to it it's obviously very instrumental but quite sparse mm -hmm. what was the project that you had with the band what did you want to explore or express well, i think you know you there are like blatant rep influences you have like i mean folk was again came back my love of like this folk and definitely you know honestly at that time lots of folk artists and I just was that was the music I really was inspired by at the time so I really like um and there was just such again a huge outpouring of art and collaborations and you just got really swept into it so the expression part was just I loved um the delicacy of strings and how they could also be such a character because there were strings in past in, you know 
in Stranger's Eye every day, that there is a very high chamber um, influence in it. So with this, it's kind of more about, it. I wanted it to kind of be more deliberate with interweaving of guitar and strings and kind of the more kind of, what can we do with restraint um, and kind of not fully just going full blown all the time. And I would probably say that wasn't, you know, the idea of what you want to express and actually expressing what you want to express. Uh, that took a lot of time. And I don't think that even really happened until like the end. <laughs> so it was just, um, I think the first album, like just, I just wanted to see what it was like to just like, again, um, learn a new instrument, my vocals, or just like really just kind of push myself to see if I could just do it. I mean, and I feel like I just, that's how I kind of approach things in general. Just like, let's see if I can do this. Like, let's see. And if it sticks, it's great. So I mean, the first album we wrote, like, I didn't know how to play a bar chord. So, like, every chord on the album is just, like, something I made up. I'm not musically trained. I'm not, like, I don't, I go by sound. Um, and so that's, again, another, when I have, like, surrounded by very talented people that can tell me what chords I'm playing, uh, that's great. <laughs> so, like, at that time, again, first album, I was learning how to sing. Um, so I always thank my bandmates, especially at that time, for having the patience to go through a lot of really shitty mistakes and just like um so that yeah the expression of that was I mean it was much more personal because it was it was lyrics I would write and I would write the initial chord progressions. Um but what I loved about it was throughout the whole time was we'd write the chord progressions and then then the song wasn't mine anymore, you know, it was it became ours, you know, the whole group. What about performance? Obviously, the the musical challenge was different from the previous bands. What I've heard from you uh, online was your performance at the Banana Stand, mm -hmm. which sounds like a lovely venue. Oh yeah, it's I. They're still doing things, and I'm so happy about that. But in listening to it, it seemed like you had a very playful relationship with your audience in between the tracks. <laughs> Can you speak a bit about how you approached concerts and what it feels like when you start performing in front of a live audience? Yeah, well, that's very generous and kind of you to say that. I think, um, you know, before every show, I was nervous, uh, super nervous. Um, you know, even in the beginning, like, um, of, of performing live, I was just all nerves, sometimes shaking. And, you know, um, I think at that, at the point of Alameda, I'm getting more used to singing with the microphone. It, it got, it did get a little easier to be on, you know, and feel confident with what I, you know, what I could do and what I couldn't do. Um, but I, the nerves were always there before every show, but it was also equally excitement. Um, so I think just by us, you know, I think, I think what also helped me was getting on stage with like my best friend. And that was like, that was huge for me. Whereas it's like, you know, they would, if, if someone fucked up on stage, like we would just look at each other and just laugh or just, like, just, just because you're like, Oh, I, I saw you do that there. And it was just like, this like very, so when things were in harmony and we were playful on stage with each other and then we're not, it's not, I'm not saying we were like, like crack is like just like slapstick you on stage but it was more just like even small glances or smiles to each other when you just felt connected on stage 
the best feeling, like one of the best feelings I've ever felt. And when you have that, it's kind of like you're okay. You can play to a totally like, you know, um, unengaging room. It could be an off night, but if you feel very connected with your bandmates, it's like you got it, you know. But I think for me personally, like I never fully feel like I got like super comfortable with like quote unquote banter. I think at some nights I'm like, well, okay, you know, this this is okay. But it, it was very random. But I feel sometimes by my nature, some of it was driven by like anxiety or just like nervousness where I would just say things like and so but I did love like you know um I did love it when those there were nights where you just felt really connected with the audience and um I felt that night that you're talking about was especially um really special um because it was just um it was so thoughtfully and and um it was so thoughtfully curated and put together that um everything just felt so complete that whole night so um but yeah i think that i think we we played very at times dark songs um but us as people were very playful people so i think there was always that juxtaposition in between songs it's not you know necessarily cracking jokes but kind of just being adding a little bit of levity not intentionally but just who we were i want to shift gears and talk about your work as a community manager next. Mm. But before we do that, in the spirit of uh, of our imaginary road <laughs> trip pop, here. Pop in the Volvo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, our, our Jack Kerouac in a Volvo situation. <laughs> what uh, Alameda song should I play as an interlude over here? Um, I would play... play um, that song that really, like, I was really proud of, uh, well, one of the songs I was very proud of was um, Colfax, actually. That was a song that I felt was very visualized, very, like, um, it was very actualized. It was just, like, fully formed. All right. Let's listen to it, I guess, on the cassette deck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pop it in. I got I got to cue some sort of sound effect here. We got to make it more <laughs> retro. <than> it is. <laughs> Cold wars ended as people say into the heat of our dying days. So come around and dance awake And all your dried bones swept away Clear-cut branch of your wounded choice Self-improve this useful voice You're on your knees, you sing your curse and drunk on moods of your stage rebirth Leave the wreck undone Colfax moves out in the sun Windshield view 
You pass on through in a vivid sleep All around in a marching drum As winter churns its wartime tones We can't find the time we missed And just in need of symbolism the storefronts lay in proper dress While hotel rooms bear holes in wealth While in Portland, you started working with Marmoset, who licenses music from its roster of indie artists to various videos, commercial houses, and larger film and TV projects. My question here is two-part. The first one is, what brought you to Marmoset? And what was your work as a community manager and content curator like? Um... So what brought me to Marmoset was actually not very, you know, like at that time. So I was working remotely also for um, working remotely as IT, kind of like helping with a educational platform um, for a place in Colorado. And I, um, unfortunately, during the time I was laid off from that job, um, it was just, it was just was, um, it was just the times. And I, I believe that was during like the, the recession period. Um, I don't want to like miss timeline that, but regardless, the fact that I was I was laid off um, despite circumstances, and so um, I, you know, it was the first time I've ever been like without a job, you know, like completely, and um, I was on unemployment for the first and only time in my life, and you know, came to kind of grappling with that, and however, during that time, it turned into a blessing in a way because I had time to focus and learn a whole new 
kind of skill and a whole new part where I started interning at Marmoset and I'm always grateful for that opportunity. So I started as an intern and helped um, catalog music for a while that they had uh, of their of their lineup. I was already, Alameda was already on the roster. So there was, um, I already had a connection with them. And um, so it started from there. And then again, right place, right time. Um, I was able to be hired on when, when the agency grew and the job, you know, um, bloomed into, uh, you know, a community manager. So I learned a lot more about, I learned a lot, cut my teeth a lot in copywriting um, when I was at that job. Um, learned how to do brand writing essentially because, you know, coming from a writing background, very floral, you know, just like novel-esque poetry, you know, I had to just like kind of pivot um, and kind of flex a new muscle with like, oh, okay, this is brand writing and it could be like, it actually kind of helped me be a stronger writer in what I wanted to say. Um, and it kind of influenced a lot of how I would write in the future. But I learned a lot from there and I had the immense honor of, you know, being able to work on, you know, like um, really special, like very creative projects, you know, with film, like, you know, um, so there was, I saw on, you know, coworkers of mine really like really masterfully like put together sound perfectly for film projects either it was like a an indie film or large-scale commercial like super bowl commercial so and then just seeing also people um and sometimes participating in you know original compositions for you know for projects like that so and i got to interview a lot of you know um a lot of artists like because i wrote the blog and i managed the social media accounts so it was a whole like kind of drinking from the fire hydrant sort of time where i um just learned a lot you know like a lot of the same time and totally you know failed you know at certain points and just like didn't you know but like good some really good lessons from that from that time so that was kind of the, the entrance point into that that relationship with music how much did you shill for Alameda while you were at Marmoset? <laughs> were you pushing your own merchandise? Because it, it feels, I mean, not not quite a conflict of interest. But, you know, you got, I was a little uh, You quiet. had some vested interest. In uh, yeah, like, of course, like we, so my relationship with them, there's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a short highlight reel, but it's one, we, even before Marmoset, um, my, we, like the biggest probably placement I ever had musically was did you ever see that show chuck i have not okay so chuck was <laughs> so chuck was like this i uh, i don't know which station it was in but it was like a big show for the time and it was like this this like this this person who worked at like uh his name was chuck and he worked at a like a um electronic store but he moonlighted i think as a spy at night you know and it was like a big show for the time and so I didn't see an episode until we were licensed for one of them. And so like, it was, it was interesting because um, the song that they used was like a song I wrote is like a breakup song, but like, but then when you, when you hear that in the context of like this, like uh, this like shootout part of a TV show, you're just like, huh, that's an interesting placement for this. But that was the, that was, that was a big deal. And it was kind of just 
you know, showed me like, oh, you know, as an artist, you can you can make a living, you know, with like with licensing and music. And so, uh, at my resident, I was a little quiet about it. I was a little like, but there was a couple times where I was just like, ah, yeah, put this name in the hat a little maybe bit. Maybe we have something. Maybe, for this. maybe, yeah. So I, <laughs> so I had very little to do with these. Uh, the placement I was more of a supporter role in it but like I definitely like yeah it was just like people were just like oh what do you think about this you know like any of your songs are oh maybe yeah I, I think so and I have like three songs three songs ready to go <laughs> the good thing I guess is now you can pretty much pitch any song for anything I mean Great Gatsby is driven by a Lana Del Rey song so yeah <laughs> Exactly. Like, and, and that's the thing I really learned and it's still the case where it was just like that, you know, they're the evolving middle class of, of, of being a musician was really like, it was really inspiring because it was, uh, you could really supporting artists who you like, whoa, you don't have, you know, either, you know, for so long it was either like you're playing in your parents' garage to stadiums and there was no in between. So this was kind of that place where like, you can still create, you know, be an artist and um, write music, but, you know, using the, the amazing opportunities of licensing really kind of opened up a lot of doors. And that was, that was a really great thing to witness. And there was, I mean, I just think nothing but good things about how Marmoset's doing things. And they just, they handle it very thoughtfully. They're very artist focused, always doing very creative projects. And um, yeah. So that that was really cool to be involved with for that time. And then you had a big change, and you ended up a big change <laughs> moving up north. Moved to up north, Toronto. Tell me yeah. about your big move and maybe your first impressions of the city. So I um, started a you know I had a, like a sort of long distance relationship with someone in who you know, lived in Toronto. Uh, lived in Toronto and um, so I would you know and I had never been to Canada before at that point I lived at that point I don't know how old was I like 30 31 um, I had not never been up north um, and I always wanted to go to Canada you know always loved music and the art and always heard great things about Canada which never went so during that time you know there was a lot of back and forth travel and I my first experience coming to Toronto Um, I loved it. I was, I mean, it was overwhelmed. I mean, I, I've been to big cities before, but Toronto just seemed like so dense. And now looking back at it, you know, when I was in like the Bloor Court area, you know, like uh, Ossington and Bloor, I just thought that was like just, I was, I was a little overwhelmed by it. I was like, there's so much here. And, it, and to, to be in a city, you know, for that, like, and getting to know it. And so the moving, it was, yeah, it was a big change made of the decision. To, to move up to uh, to Toronto, and I think for the for the most part, even up to today, I mean, I was having a conversation about it yesterday with, with a friend where I patted, you know, big thing was to me was like how um, ignorant I was and naive, honestly, of uh, growing up in you know, like being in Portland. And I love Portland; um, it is a very progressive bubble, and I patted myself super hard. Um, for just how, like, you know, I, I did a, a lot of, like, global traveling, you know, earlier in my life, but, you know, I was just like, I, you know, I, I know so much about other cultures and things, but the big thing for me really being in Toronto was, like, 
oh, I know nothing about the world. There are so many cultures I have no idea about. I have not engaged with. I have not, you know, so that's been a really like humbling thing in itself. And that is like, I'm still so much in awe of that in, in Toronto where you just go and, you know, living in little Portugal and just like walking down the street and signs in different languages and just like, um, just getting to know the city in, in its pockets has been just amazing. I feel like that is actually a good segue into my next question about artery, which is very much mm -hmm. about getting to know each other and yeah. getting to share a little bit of ourselves and a little bit of our gifts. Can you tell me mm -hmm. a little bit about this beautiful idea and <laughs> give us a sense of what the company does? So artery is a um, collaborative platform that connects um, artists to host in um, intimate spaces. And so oftentimes that's people's living rooms and, um, and for, for very intimate cultural experiences. And so a lot of it's music. There's also, I mean, it, but it's dance. It could be anything. Honestly, it can be, you know, it's two hours spent with, with a room full of people, um, in some form of engagement. So it could be like a, someone cooks a dinner, um, someone has some, you know, like someone plays a, uh, an acoustic set, someone, um, performs, you know, dances ballet, you know, in someone's backyard. So I think it's a lot of uh, just opportunities for people to just really connect and engage with each other in a really like intimate way. Um, and so it's, it's beautiful in the way that people open up their doors and it is, it's the beautiful thing is that the trust that people have, um, and it's a trust of people, um, coming, you know, going to a stranger's home to see some art, <laughs> to, you know, see a performance and also for the hosts to open up their space for strangers to come. So, and every hands down, every artery, you know, I've been to has been very different, but also very special. And what exactly is your role as Toronto community manager? So my role is, um, is I help, um, I, I help artists and hosts collaborate with each other and, you know, curating, um, curating experiences with each other. So it's kind of, you know, on one day I'll be, um, helping a few artists kind of, um, find hosts, um, to collaborate with and to create something with them, um, and vice versa. Uh, I also, you know, I go to showcases a lot where I go that to them in person and get just to really connect with, you know, it's really important to be connecting with the hosts themselves and the artists. It's community. So it's really getting to know the incredibly diverse community um, in Toronto that makes it so special. So and at showcases, you know, like I sometimes give introductions, but really I'm just um, I'm participating and, and just... Uh, not necessarily observing, but just being, I'm there. And if people want to talk, you know, talk to me or get to learn about it, they can. And, um, but I, I'm there, you know, I'm there to just, uh, uh, to listen. So that's, it's mainly, it's, it's a lot of support and if people have questions about how to use the site, I'm there. It really just helps them to have, you know, the best experience they can with it. I actually attended an event you played. <laughs> on the rooftop of King Street. Yeah. We ate pizza and drank cider. And <laughs> as you came on and played, I remember the night lights coming alive as you began your set. And I think it mm -hmm. may have been dark 
when you finished. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. there were people there that were acquainted, mm -hmm. others weren't. And while I felt like I could chat up with a stranger, I certainly didn't feel like I had to. There was community, but also you could come just mm -hmm. for the art mm -hmm. itself. That's my artery moment. Do you have one for yourself that you recall fondly as a special experience? I have, um, yeah, there are definitely some, you know, that stand out to me. I feel, I do remember that. And I, and to kind of speak to kind of what you're, and I completely agree with you. Like I, you know, for myself, I, I'm, I would consider myself a social introvert where I like being around people, but I don't, uh, I, I have a threshold. And so, so sometimes I'm kind and of, a lot of people are like yeah. that. So especially in these times when we all feel like we have to put our life on display, it's nice to have an opportunity to yeah. express ourselves in that modality. Well, I think, yeah. And I think, well, I think we're just acknowledging that there's this, we're, we're, we're not one or the other. I think that we have, you know, it is, there are people that are very fed by being social and it's just a different way that they just engage. I think, I think the one thing about being in these environments that I, I love and it's about these shows and these showcases is that you don't need to be anybody. You don't need to be on. You just, I think you just come in whatever space you're in. And I think there's a total um, kind of just like unspoken, just kind of like, yep, totally. Like, you know, there's, you can, you can like, um, you can sit and just watch the show and not, and you don't have to talk. And, and you can just like, I'm here, I'm in whatever space I'm in. And I could, maybe it's a social, you know, I'm in a social mood, but sometimes I'm not. But it's not necessarily about, you know, it's, it's like kind of the anti-networking, you know, it's kind of more about like, it's more of connection, you know, and you're kind of having this, you know, you don't, again, you don't need to be just like on it, you know, like I'm going to be the most extroverted person ever. And I, there's a lot of pressure with that. So it's, I'm, I'm glad you had that experience and I'm glad that you're able to kind of navigate, you know, and be and like, participate how you felt comfortable. And I think that's the most important thing, like in my opinion, um, is that just like, just be, you know, just show up and that's all you need to do. Um, so for me, times that I've felt that, um, that I've loved, um, where two, co two come to mind. One was, uh, one, we didn't even, you know, help curate it. It was, um, it was this person who just created one. And it, it was just called a Moroccan dinner. And this woman, she just, uh, was like, I, you know, I wanted to express some, some part of my home. Uh, where I'm from, and I would love to cook uh, a Moroccan meal for 10 people. So with Artery, you can RSVP. It's kind of a, you know, you, you RSVP, claim your spot. You don't know the address until you get, until after you get your spot. So you get an email um, with the address, and so you show up at this address. And it was beautiful. It was just like, like at that point, like 12 strangers around a dinner table. No one really knew each other. Um and we all just shared this incredible meal. And the concept was simple. That's sometimes like the most beautiful ones are just the simple ones. There's just not, there's just like, we're just going to enjoy like food together. And that was beautiful. Like, I think by the end of the night, I learned that, you know, like someone was talking about like their love of flying and like 
helicopters and like and then he then like this other stranger just like shared a tattoo of a dog that he had on his like torso and you're just like huh this is great (laughs) and so you're just getting to know people in just a very different way where it's just kind of you know there's a freedom in that some way where you're just like i you know there's no there's no history with these people but like in some ways you're like i get a you know like this is just this is just a really great experience and we're also really sharing over amazing food and so there's an openness but again you know there are also some people that were pretty quiet you know but but they still really enjoyed the experience and so that was one and a more recent one um i really loved was um and there have been multiple times i've been kind of in a in a low place and then i'll go to a showcase and i'm just like it totally rejuvenates me it just like kind of just gives me a lot of hope and a lot of like wow you know there's something so much beyond you know myself and um and one of them you know another experience was a show i had um called singing singing other people's songs and the concept was two songwriters um would perform but they were tasked with to learn a cover of the other person's song and so the two songwriters were jeff beetle and kevin butler and it was great because they actually have played a lot of you know, they played a lot of shows together as Toronto songwriters, but it had, at that point, it had been years since they've seen each other. But they knew each other, but um, so they, they had a couple of weeks to prepare. So when they showed up, um, and it was the, the space, uh, and I feel bad, I, um, the, the, the host, um, I, I remember the host had, um, he was a special effect, like um, a costume, like for, like for horror movies. Like he was, like he had a bunch of props. So it was like, you're just in this, like, again, like there, I, it's, it's still, it's so great. Like I got very used to just showing up in at least one stranger's home a week. <laughs> you're just kind of like, yeah. And you just, um, but this one, I had not met the person yet. So you come and, and this amazing, this great host just opened up the studio and he's like, Hey, you want to see something cool? <laughs> so we go to the back, go to the back room and he just has all these like, prop dummies of zombies and you're like i would have never seen this on like a tuesday night this is great so and it was just his face and he's just like i'd love to open my space this is what i do so it's again the host plays a huge role in these because that's their space and so that's them and um so we all it was about 20 people in the room um and uh, in the center was this yellow couch and um each songwriter took a turn and i think for me it was that point i loved honestly watching um there was a moment where jeff beetle had already played and he's listening to kevin butler perform one of his songs and i think it was a beautiful moment because it was just such it was such a an amazing form of the celebration of just like um where they really like just showed just so much respect and and love in that room um and it was kind of a powerful experience it's like just to witness someone having their own song played to them and hearing it through somebody else. And so I, I loved that form of connection. And that was, that to me was a really meaningful experience. And, and, and that's just like a couple just in, in so many that have happened.
just where we used to run Where it lingered at your heels Reclined It was the first fixing months Felt like sunlight warms the skin And in turn You said it was just this once Tell me about what you're doing with that because you have a fundraising initiative going on right now. Last year, it was around like last April, I started just running and it, 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 I'd run a little bit in the past um, in Portland with some friends who were into it at the time, but it kind of didn't necessarily stick, but I remember enjoying it. But um, I think for me and learning things about myself is that I tend to process and um, find a lot of therapy in in running um and for me it's a kind of an opportunity to have my own space it's an opportunity for me 
kind of to invert again another inversion in my life where I get to be out of my head and more into my in my body where I find that most of my life is in my head and out of my body you know working life and so trying to find that balance so running is something it's become you know it's evolved in something you know even I'd say addicting where it's just like it's a ritual so running has become a very important ritual for me and um and it's a, a chance to just really engage with the city um my surroundings in a really um kind of intentional way so if i want to visit a neighborhood i'll just like map it into the route so i'm i've been running a lot and it's been so i'm kind of even a full circle so uh i it was a big thing for me i've kind of been hitting some milestones of just again exploring like can i do this so i i was like i want to run a half marathon so that was my goal so i started you know running with you know some some friends who you know had been running for a while and so um they really supported me a lot so like I, it's been another ritual where i run with uh sunday morning you know well pre pre-pandemic times but um we named ourselves the breakfast club where we would run on sun, sunday mornings early and then visit a different diner um and eat there and it was just a really just great way to ground kind of the weekend and our time together and so anyways that happened and so um it was a big thing for me to be able to run uh half marathon back in October as a Scotiabank marathon. And so then the next step was I, you know, I visited uh, my friend Lawrence who I played, you know, um, years ago in the bandwidth and we've always been in touch but we, and we've always been, you know, very connected. Um, and we both fell in love with this thing, swim run. So it's this, uh, it's this team race where you're literally running from island to island and you're swimming as well so you're like swimming in shoes and then you get out and then you're running so we're doing i think it's like so on the horizon was this it's in september and fingers crossed it'll still happen but so we've been training remotely with each other and you know we give each other phone calls and really just like kind of processing with each other and i i've loved it so one of the milestones was a was a marathon happening on may 24th and it was going to be the ottawa marathon and it was going to be my first marathon and that was again another big milestone for me and um and now understandably it's been canceled um so but in my head i was like well i've been training a lot and also just like i've been loving kind of just this process has been really important i mean running on it like has helped me get out of bed in the morning so i just decided to do my own marathon and um so just run it solo. So since then, I've just been just tracking, and so what I and I wanted to put it to good use too. Where so I, I decided to make it into a fundraiser for the Sweet Relief Musicians Fund, which is a nonprofit that helps even in non-pandemic times uh, helps musicians, you know, that have been affected by um, you know injuries, disabilities. Um, it, it's, a, it's essentially a resource for musicians and music industry workers. Um, because honestly, even in good times, you know, it can be a very turbulent, um, industry to work in and it takes a toll on your physical, mental health. And now more than ever, you know, the, the bottoms fell out, fallen off with, you know, the cancellations of touring and where a lot of people make their living, you know, they're, they're just, people are scrambling. And so this, this, you know, this nonprofit really helps. And so, I set up a goal and the, the support has been incredible. Um, you know, people coming out of the woodworks to support even, you know, it's like pitching in like, like 10 bucks here, 10 bucks there and more like a hundred dollars. So it's been really like humbling and, um, really like just again, it's really 
you know, there's things really rejuvenating me. And so I've just been focusing on that. And now at this point, you know, I run on Sunday mornings. With, I don't run, you know, with the group, but we still send each other pictures of our progress. And, um, but I'm running on average about on any given Sunday, um, around like 20 K, um, 20 plus K, um, just to kind of prepare. Mm-hmm. Have you, uh, as you were talking, I, I thought of the perfect um, Christmas gift for you if, if you haven't read it yet. <laughs> There's this Murakami book, uh, what I talk about when I talk about running. Oh, Have you read yes, that? I've, I've heard about it and I've always been intrigued. Okay, so I'll get a copy for you as a gift and I will also get a copy for myself because I've been meaning to read it. Oh, thank you. I would... <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I've heard it. Yeah. And I heard it. It's just a straight up book. Like, I mean, you, his other books are very like, you know, beautiful and kind of surreal even at times. But this book I heard, this is a very proper like running book. Like I love running and this is what I do. <laughs> like, Before I let you go, I do want to ask, and I intend on asking everyone this. Mm-hmm. What's one thing and it could be anything that you're excited about right now. There's a, there's a few things I'm excited about, but I think it's something I think about a lot. And I, um, I'm excited to like, I mean, well, yeah, that's a, I think actually about the swim run, I think it's been, to me, I've been so focused on it and it's not just about doing the run. I'm just excited to like, like give my best friend a hug when I see him and we're going to be like, you know, swimming in the middle of like the sound together and just experiencing that and, and just feeling just reconnected with this nature and um, to other people again. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited about that. Like as the, as a, something I just, I, I wake up and I look forward to it. Um, and I just to, yeah, and I think, and I, and I'm excited to, you know, um, I think my mom's coming after that. I'm just so, I'm just really excited again, not just about seeing people, but having this experience and sharing, and just sharing an experience with with someone, you know, so, um, and especially that one. I would love to end with something that brings us back to the beginning and to mm-hmm. where. You came from and it's funny that you mentioned mm-hmm. your mom in your previous answer because mm-hmm. you begin your performance of this piece talking about your mom and i think this is from letters that she wrote your neighbors back in the day it's a wonderful piece titled ozarks wow that whoa deep cut <laughs> you've done your research <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I just really like the live performance of it again mm-hmm. from the banana stand that we talk about earlier. Mm-hmm. Anything that you want to share about this song before we go down memory lane together? Um, yeah, that Ozark was Ozark was um a piece that I feel was one of the first times I I think I expressed what I wanted to express in that song. And I think um, kind of wrote that in the perspective of, of my mom, inspired by these, you know, 
these letters that she'd write to her our neighbor in, in during that time and it, it was a very you know i i wasn't very old i don't remember um that but just being um hearing stories about that time in our lives and it was really you know it was a darker time um in a certain sense but it was just it was just a moment of like those letters were more of as a, an expression and as a way to connect out of isolation um and so that was that was a really powerful and i took those i was inspired by that 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 story my mom and, and again it just was another reform of resilience that um from that period of time um and yeah i think that was i've always you know been inspired by stories from my family um and so i think that it always like and it always continues to be an inspiration for me just like i think you don't need to look if you want a good story you don't really need to look very you know much further than you know just and talking to your family. Sterling, thank you for your time and for your thoughts. Thank you. This is this is amazing. listening to the CP pod today. If you enjoyed what you heard, 
please share with friends, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and consider leaving a review. I look forward to connecting with you soon. In the meantime, be well.